I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for a triple header recap. Catalonia stage three first, mentioning the Brugge de Pana sprint, and then a note on Seti Manicopi e Bartoli, which isn't being televised it has a stacked start list with MVP, Thomas, Hater, and Co. As always, this show is brought to you by Zwift, our title sponsor. Tour of Watopia continues with Stage 4 taking place this week. Group rides start on the hour, every hour, and there are three route lengths. So plenty of choice for you to find your fun as well as level up twice as fast thanks to Double XP. Head to Zwift.com to find out more and start your free seven-day trial. Benji, Catalonia, it's the La Molina finish, 5.6Ks at 7.5%, then a descent of 1.5Ks, then a 1,500-meter 6% finish, 161Ks, shallow climbs before. It's like the foyer Algarve stage, hard to get excited about. Well, I was still hoping... And I think we can see that from the fact that we wanted big people to attack on this stage. And some people did attack, but we'll get to that. At the uh, start of the stage, four breakaway riders happened to be on the road. Biscara, including in that, that's a pretty strong rider on the team of uh, Oiskadi. Yep, Oiskadi, Os- that's her name. Oiskadi, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okamika was in the breakaway as well. That's the guy that was beaten by Aruni Gergots in, I think, the first stage of Valenciana, if my memory serves me right. He actually... Uh, was the first villain of today's story for Jonas Wiedeberg, as he was the first to steal a jersey from him, the KOM jersey. Kasper Pedersen and Petili in the breakaway as well. Petili did pretty well in, I think it was Strade that he had a top 10. Kasper Pedersen, I think he won by two at some point. Vaguely remember something like that. But uh, when it comes to these four riders, we know this breakaway will likely not be making it when we see that there's a team at the front and it's Movistar. Bala won uh, on Molina twice, I think, 2017-2018, and they clearly wanted to try it again today. And I was curious because, like, on one end, yes, I would like them to control the breakaway to make sure that he can actually compete for the uh, eventual thing, but are they the team that should be controlling the stage, you think? Yes, I think so. Bora Hansgrohe helped with Red Bull VO2 Ski Mountaineer. Great tests in the lab. <laughs> Anton Poltz are on some climbs. First time I've seen him. At uh, the front of a race, and but yeah, they got a bit of help. But I don't know. It Bowers won on it before. The GC start list is not the strongest for him to win GC. He wants to take bonus seconds. It makes sense. They got Verona. They got the horses to do it. I don't see why not. Ineos. I mean, they'd probably be like, listen, Plap, sick, port out. We can't help you. Sorry. That's true. And I've got the feeling that a lot of people were sick today. And yeah, with Dumoulin matches at the back of the peloton, that seemed like something that is going around in the peloton again. And a lot of DNFs during the stage as well as a consequence. But that Movistar train just kept going on those climbs. And I wasn't expecting anything to happen on the first 
climb. I was hoping perhaps someone would be crazy enough to go on the second last climb, but that was that would likely not happen. So that eventually did not happen. The break was trickling down towards just Biscara at that point in the race, and we basically started the uh, climb towards La Molina, the bigger climb before that goes to that place. And I've got a feeling that while Movistar was doing quite some pacing there, that people were looking to attack fairly early on. And that was seen by the fact that Bike Exchange went to the front. And I was surprised at how long Callum Scottson was able to pace ahead of Damon Housen. Then Damon Housen took over for a tiny bit. And then we saw an attack by the one and only Quokka man that was introduced to the fourth spot in the Tour de France last year. Ben O'Connor on the right side of the road attacked away. Not Yates. I was expecting Yates to do something because Housen was pacing. And Yates just kind of slipped back. Yeah, and Israel as well had set it up from the base with Clark and maybe DeMarkey, but Woods was like 25 wheels deep. Yeah. Woods seems to run like 50 centimeter wide handlebars, <laughs> um, which maybe, yeah, don't look very aerodynamic. And this is a fast climb. And similarly to, to Dauphiné Stage 8, similarly to getting in the break in TDF Stage 9, O'Connor was able to go up the road after Henry Van Dannebill had attacked the DSM rider and no one reacted. It's This is where an example where not being Pogaccio, not being Roglic, not being Valverde or Yates is an advantage because people don't react immediately. If Simon Yates had surged, people would be on his wheel, Igita as well. And O'Connor did the Molimer thing. He seemed to go absolutely <laughs> full and he... I think he knows La Molina. I would assume he knows it. It's near where we live in Andorra um, at the end of the road that goes up to Pucferda. So when you do the Three Nations loop, La Molina is just below there. And he would know there's a descent. So, is that, so if you make it the finish line two and a half, three Ks from the finish, if you are ahead there, you're very difficult to bring back because the descent, people might not work, you can recover. And that's what he seemed to do. And he got 25 seconds. Yeah. And we have a big group here. Movistar have Sosa, who doesn't pace immediately for Valverde. UAE have four. Soler, Ayuso, Almeida, Bennett. Ineos have Rodriguez and Carapaz both sitting in. Yates, I think, isolated. Quintana isolated. Woods not feeling good. And it was just, it was. we've been speaking about this over and over again. It applies in hill stages, mountains flat Belgian races with people having fresh legs, the group dynamic and the gap at 20 seconds, it was just attack Benji. Who went? Was it Agita? So many different guys put in 10 seconds and then lost 10 again. Yeah, so many people went. I think uh, at some point we saw Skelmos making a move after yesterday's event over the wall. And in today's stage, he made a small move, eventually was caught again. We saw attacks by... I think saw someone at a certain point and Butrago closed that. Then Ineos tried to control it a tiny bit. And eventually it was an That's attack true, by, yeah. by a Yuzo that looked fairly strong. He was then caught again and was closed down once again. And it really wasn't that quickly that somebody was able to get away on the climb itself. And like you said, we saw a move by EF as well, where Carfi eventually went. I think it was a, a bit of a one-two where his teammate went first, Chavez, and then... There was the move by Garfi that once again lengthened the peloton, but the second that he's caught again, it's again five to ten seconds that it's quiet, and therefore the gap that they got back by attacking is already gone again. So 
the gap just stays the same in that sense of form. And towards the top of the climb, I was thinking, okay, it's it's just going to be O'Connor at this point. And I think there was one attack towards the end of the climb into the descent that actually uh, seemed to go well, Mark Soler. Mark Soler, the Catalan rider, attacked. He has He's had a lot of freedom since he joined UAE. Yeah. He attacks after Ayuso, and he just sits in no man's land. The group behind has got, I think, well, Hindley didn't pace for Igita. There's, I think, Uman and Kreisvike. Yep. They're not doing anything. There's Pools and Butrago. It's not coming back. O'Connor gets to the descent at the top of this climb. You can see how fast it is. He knows it well. He's a good descender. He's got 18, 15 seconds going into the last 1,500 metres, 6%, and he's able to hold off the peloton despite Almeida doing a long lead-out, which I don't think was an intentional lead-out. He was trying to catch O'Connor. You could see in the front-on shot uh, with 400 metres to go how close they were behind him, but it was actually Ayuso who slotted onto his little but O'Connor able to take the stage back-to-back years with World Tour stage-level victories, already opening his account at, uh, I'm going to call it his home race, Catalonia <laughs> and the Quokka Roar. Ah! He's back, and we might hear it more this year, winning by six seconds out of Ayuso Quintana, Igita Almeida Pools, Ciccone, enemy of the podcast, Johannes, and Guillaume Martin, who'd also attacked Ninth gap of another three to a big group of GC contenders, House and Petrago, Carapaz, yada, yada, yada. So who's the clowns today, Benji? Who's who's going onto the team bus thinking we just let a win slip through our fingers? I think UAE is certainly one of those teams that would dare to think so because you've got multiple riders in that team that are in that elite group and they keep on attacking and therefore trying to close it down by attacking but that's what a solo rider would do if you've got three riders there at some point you'll have to make a choice who is going to be your guy for today and for gc and i think they just didn't do that and as a consequence you just had attack after attack after attack yes that solar attack worked for a bit yes that a user attack worked for like 20 seconds but eventually it it felt like if one of them decided to Face all out for the other, they might get something out of the stage. But at a certain point, it looked like Almeida was doing something. But what was that between Almeida and Ayuso towards the end? I think it was Almeida of his own accord doing what he did on UAE Chibol Jais last year, chasing Lutschenko. He just like freaks out and starts chasing, and the group slotted onto his wheel, and Ayuso slotted onto his wheel. So I think they were a complete shambles, UAE. Like, this is a clown performance. Four riders in group one and two. Bennett, I didn't, maybe I didn't see it on camera, but Bennett's there, didn't seem to pace. Maybe he couldn't. I mean, Soler as well. He ended up losing time, so he's out of GC. Just one of you go on the front of the group. You lost eventually by six seconds. Al made a great punch, or are you? So it doesn't matter. You just need one rider to pace. And I think they have problems, Benji. I think they do. When Pagach is at a race, it's very obvious who's the man. But Soler just signed a big contract. I made a big contract. Ayuso is the second coming of Contador in Spain. <laughs> who's who's the leader? They all think they are. I agree. And I think we spoke about it before this podcast and the previous ones as well, what we would expect from this team. And I was expecting attacks left and right, but not necessarily that one would fold for the other that easily. And I'm wondering if after this stage, they will have a better set 
or mindset based on their team performance of today towards tomorrow's stage because if they continue riding for themselves completely like so they're losing time today sorry but i'd say you're a domestique from this point onwards on the next climb because yeah he did have that attack which led to that time loss but as a gc rider you shouldn't be losing time even if you decide to attack so a user and almeida are the ones that are currently still high up in gc i would say a user based on almeida's last few uh weeks but in all honesty, I also don't know how Almeida will fare on the longer climb we've got tomorrow. But talking about tomorrow's stage, why don't you guide us towards that final climb? Well, I'm just trying to look for Benji. Yeah. Simon Yates lost 10 minutes. Wait, today. what? Yeah, <laughs> Simon Yates lost 10 minutes. So this this is the full Simon Yates experience <laughs> the last couple of weeks. This is That's crazy. That's why Hausen was doing something in the last kilometer. And now all makes sense because Hausen was suddenly trying to make moves Chasing for himself. Chasing Yeah, that was, yeah, that's odd. Odd, odd, odd. I don't know what happened. Matthews looked ill during the what stage. Perhaps Simon, Simon Yates. Yates happened. Well, perhaps he's also <laughs> ill for Matthews. You never know. True, true. Maybe. And yeah, lots of people lost time. Like Woods ended up losing time after Israel paced at the start. Weird, weird race this Catalonia. But as Benji said, tomorrow we have Boitol finish which is near Portonay which Chavez won on last year 170k's about 3,500 meters climbing in this stage but the warm-up climbs are not very hard they start at La Seu, uh just south of the border which is where all the riders half of them in this peloton literally ride there two three times a week because it's warm in winter and it's 13k 6% this climb. It's a bit steeper at the start, 4.5k, 7.8%. Boy toll up to 20,050 meters. So not high, high altitude, but more suitable for Quintana than today's stage. And I think I think he's the GC favorite now, Benji. Quintana. Okay. O'Connor's on 10 seconds to Ayuso, 12 seconds to Quintana. Igisha on 16. Quintana knew he wanted those bonus seconds in the sprint today. Can O'Connor defend that against UAE and Quintana tomorrow? I uh, I think it's going to be pretty hard to do so. And I think that if UAE play their cards right tomorrow, then they can do damage on someone like Ben O'Connor, who is relatively alone in his team in this front the lead group. And as a consequence, I, I said Ayuso would win this race at the start. And if he doesn't win on... Uh, on the next climbing stage well then he can't win gc that easily so he's gonna have to do it on that stage as well so yuzo is my pick guy i uh i see high things happening by this guy and i'm even more hyped by the fact that he's second even though the team tactics weren't very on point from them exactly he still tactics aside looks very very strong and tomorrow should be a good shootout with quintana igita all those poles as well is there or thereabouts on 16 seconds. Top five is hugely open here with Valverde even losing time. I think Quintana's going to take some time tomorrow. It, it's it's not that hard. You have to go early. I don't know. It, hopefully it's better than today. Um, but yeah, congrats to Ben O'Connor. Looking good. 82 hours. Best rider by far, I think. But... Moving on to another race that was today, Minerva Classic, Brugge de Pana, 208Ks. Uh, what do they call Benji? The Muren? Yeah, the Muren are in this, but also it passes like five kilometers from my house. So I wave from my couch 
and during the stage nothing really happened like let's be honest about it there was no wind here so the moon were were dead today nothing this happened no echelons <laughs> that was so sad but there was stress in the last well, like 20 kilometers where at some point half the peloton was riding on a bike path for example <laughs> but yeah towards the, the end of the stage we knew it was going to be a sprint on that final lane we know that the final lane is important where with about, what is it, 600, 700 meters to go, you've got like this left corner and that's a very important corner to be in the front of. And we saw all teams fighting for that position. Lotto Sedal was doing a lot for the Lee earlier on in the uh, preparation of the sprint. And then towards that one kilometer, 700 meters left corner, we saw that Quickstep was a team at the front, but Cavendish was not necessarily in the right position at that point. And I was curious because like, yeah, Merku is here. Are they going to be able to fix it and so forth? Olaf Koy came on the left side of the road in the inner side of that corner, making up a lot of positions right there. And it slotted him in a position that perhaps was a bit too much at the front at that point because you're sitting just behind the, the, the last lead out, basically. So you're completely dependent on a lead out of a different team to drop you off at the right time. And that's a dangerous thing to do, I'd say. When it comes to Mirlir and so forth, what did you see when it comes to other sprinters' positioning? Well, yeah, like Alperson seemed very conscious of that because his last man, Jonas Rickart, was working into that corner with over a kilometer to go, figuring if it's like in Italy. They learned from that Torino <laughs> stage where yeah. there's no point having two guys to lead you out in the last 300 meters with 50 sprinters ahead of you in a five-lane with five-rider-width road. So let's just use Rickard early. And that's what they did, kept him in okay position. It's a There's a lot of guys trying to win here, not even teams with big sprinters like Bahrain were going for Chaboy Hausler, I think, or maybe the Jonathan Milan experiment. Milan, I'm afraid. Now, nah, well, House end up top ten. So the Milan, can we just end the Milan experiment? It's it's not it's not <laughs> happening, guys. Um, we got Bennett here for Bora, as Benji said. Cav two sprinters. So Covetus have got their whole team trying to sprint Consoni and Volshard for points. Gronovechen, Ackerman, Buani. So it's busy, and there was a crash. Ackerman going down, and Arno Dali caught behind Benji. He, he is. He is so good, that kid. We'll talk about him maybe another time, but that affected his race and a few others, I think. Yeah, certainly. And it was notable that Olaf Koy was initially behind that crash and then a Grupama rider decided to bring him to the front, which was handy, which brought us to that corner I was speaking about, which then led Koy to that second position and brought them to the lead out. And at that point, I was thinking, how long is this quick step lead out going to do it at the front of the peloton? How long is the other team's lead outs going to work? at the front and at what point is Koi going to have to launch and in all honesty I was fearing that it would be too early and Koi opened up his sprint I was I think like 250-200 to go and you know that with a lot of great sprinters in your reel somebody's eventually going to come over it right? Yeah exactly and we basically just saw a massive bunch sprint shoulder price style and it was Gronovegan who was boxed in a little bit switched off came left looking good a little bit early opened up straight line drive and on his right hand side was Tim Merlier photo finish for the sprint with Buwani coming out of Gronovegan's wheel late grove style and nabbing third yeah Volscheid mad I don't know why I guess he thought he could do better he's in great form I thought Gronovegan had won 
initially and they didn't know. It was an Amstel Gold situation again. Eventually, it comes through that Tim Murley is one ahead of Gronovec and with Coy de Marconsoni de Lee, Sturvan Hausler rounding out the top 10 cab and Bennett didn't contest the sprint. Apparently, Gronovegan or Melia had bigger tyres on Benji. Ooh. It was that close. It was close. Yeah. And it brings us back to uh, the Amstel photo finish. And uh, in all honesty, I thought the second they're going to show the photo finish, Pitcock is going to have to be the winner. So in my eyes, Pitcock is the winner of Brahe de Pone. <laughs> I agree. I think that's the just thing to do. I would like to point out here... I know we talk about it so much, and yes, Philippe won the World Champs with his jersey unzipped. That's fine. Look at how close these margins are. If you just improve your kit fit by a little bit, bit narrower bars, any small difference for your sprinter when they hit the wind in the last 200 metres, it only has to make five centimetres difference Yep. And Gronovegan's taken the one-day race. Now, maybe Merle is one in spite of a slower helmet because he's actually really fast. I don't know, but I still think there's area for improvement, and particularly as well in mountain stages. I think in winter races like Catalonia, riders on La Molina should be wearing aero helmets up the hill. Um, if Unless it's like, no, I will really overheat. It's like two degrees up there. Anyway, that's another time. Um it's not the best race without crosswinds, is it, Benji? In addition to the gap. Yeah. And uh, I've criticized his race quite a bit, even if it had crosswinds oh, at really? certain points. Because uh, it shouldn't be World Tour. Brigitte Punish should not be World Tour. There's so many countries without a World Tour race. Come on, make cycling a bit more global. Don't give it to Brigitte Punish. I got a pretty good rule of thumb. If your race is on a Wednesday, on a one-day <laughs> race, it's not a World Tour race. It shouldn't be, at least. If it's on a weekend, maybe it is. Otherwise, Friday? Friday, uh, Yeah, because I didn't say Friday because E3 is kind of (laughs) good. So E3 is actually a good race. But even so, E3, you can scrap it. Like, you're just trying to get two two Tour of Flanders and boost tourism revenue in Belgium. Like, I can't tell the difference between any of these races. Scandinavian Um, World Tour race. Yeah. To the Rwanda World Tour race. Yeah, that sounds good. I can bring back the Canadian ones first. Anyway, oh. two down under, Cadell Evans. Over in Italy, speaking of cycling, the thing, things that might need to be improved, Settimana uh, Internazionale Coppi Bartoli. Now, this has been a good like preparation race for young GC guys. For example, Jonas Vingegaard, I think, won here before uh, as – Proved his talent before we saw it at the Tour de France last year. And it's got a stacked start list. It's got um, the Van Dykes, or one of them. It's got the Nibali brothers, Kian Utterbrooks, Thomas, Deplus, Dunbar, Hayter, Tullet, Betiol, Cavagnar, Schmidt, Ulysses, Hirschi, Van der Poel. Stacked start list, no live coverage, which is unfortunate. But yesterday we saw... Uh, on stage one, Maro Schmidt beating Eddie Dunbar in a two-hour break with Hater coming third and MVDP looking at Hater, thinking, "How? who are you? How did you just beat me in the reduced group sprint? But what I wanted to talk about was Dunbar rode that in a curious way, Benji. He's got Hater behind and he was pulling hard with Schmidt who destroyed Covey in the Montalcino sprint in the Giro last year. He's quick. 
And I thought it got me thinking, is Dunbar riding for second slash, you know, hopefully for first because his contract's up at the end of this year. It's not gone great the last couple of years. Ineos, he's 25. I really rate him. If you're his agent, are you looking to move on with one grand tour, the Giro a few years ago that he's done at Ineos? I dare to say yes, because we've seen quite a few good things from this man in his history. I remember the Tour de Polonia where Carapaz fell, where Remco Evenepoel was the man that went solo very hard on that longer hill stage. And Dunbar was the man that was keeping the gap to Evenepoel for like a significant amount of time in that stage. So a really strong performance there. I remember the Tour de Suisse stage. Was it last year where Dunbar was uh, doing support work for Carapaz as well in that race? Again, very strong performances. He's had GC in the past as well. He got 11th in the UAE Tour in 2020, for example. He got, I think, top 15 at Tour de Suisse at some point in his life. Was it uh, last year? I think I remember that last year because of that domestique work for Carapaz indeed. He got fourth in Emilia in uh, 2020. And let's be honest, Flazov, Almeida, Ulisi, Dunbar, Bajoli, Fulsang, Nibali, Ciccone, those are big guns. That's a rider that can be a leader in Italian classic uh, classics. And he sometimes gets that at Ineos. He sometimes gets opportunities left and right. But the majority of time, it's in smaller races. And I doubt he'll ever have the chance of doing it at a bigger race at Ineos. And therefore, if I was his agents, I, I'd look for different places to go to. Worst case scenario, he's probably strong enough that they'd want to keep him if he can't find anything. He's always going to be a domestique at the Ardennes Classics for Pitcock and formerly Kwiatkowski at the big Italian races. He's been a domestique. In Grand Tours, he's not been sent since the Giro d'Italia 2019. And even if he does go to Grand Tours with Ineos, he might not get opportunities to go for stages either. This is the guy that came fourth in Giro dell'Emilia in 2020, head of Bagioli. He's a great hilly one-day racer. And even like, I mean, I think the GC GC for him is just not happening. I don't know what his TT is. He's 25. I know he's, he, he might even be good at like Tour de Volony style races, punchier yeah. races that we wouldn't expect. He came fourth in Balwaza Belgium Tour in 2018. Now, I don't know how that, how that happened. He won Tour of Flanders <laughs> U23 solo ahead of Philipson in 2017. This is not that long ago. And I think he's one of the most underrated riders on Ineos because we haven't seen him at the Tour ever. We haven't seen him at the front of uh, the Ineos train in Grand Tours. He's often at races that literally aren't televised but have strong start lists and he performs well. And I think he had a bit of an off year, health issues, or I don't know, uh, in the last, in the previous years, but Ineos are not looking so good that they can just tell riders of his talent level you're going to get no world tour opportunities uh, in the future. So it, the thing is, where's the landing place? Where can pay him a decent amount, plus give him the opportunities, plus yes. have good equipment? EF. There's Irish people there. We know that Irish people like Irish people, so it fits perfectly. <laughs> Who's the Irish people at EF? Ben Healy. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah, that, that's a good point, and he's a similar sort of similar rider. Um, EF is a great spot. We say EF for everybody. 
I don't know. <laughs> I just I'd like to see maybe he resigns with Ineos on the understanding that he gets to do different races. But just watch out for Dunbar. He, he could have a break back here. You think that Dunbar could be a bit of a replacement for a Devonine style rider at yes. Quickstep? Yes, I think he could do that sort of punchy job. The problem is salary plus opportunities. So you're not going to get paid as much a quick step, plus mm-hmm. you might not get the opportunities. So is that something he wants to do? But it might be part of a winning culture. So I don't know. It's up to him. It'd be interesting to see. Even Alperson Benji. I would see him at Alperson. That'd be a great fit. Yeah, but they kind Why? of lost Dollard. So perhaps he could be that replacement. <laughs> well, exactly. They got no competitors for Ardennes or Hilly sort of races. What, they, uh Yeah, but he can't do everything. Well, he yeah, actually is right. trying to do everything. They have to do World Tour stage races next year. They've got like one and a half guys who can ride a World Tour up like a 20K climb. I think Alperson's a great spot for him if they've got the money. Anyway, watch out for Dunbar. That was our recap of today's stages. Tomorrow we have Women's Brugadapana. I think the name's changed, but I don't know what the sponsor's called. And the Catalonia Final Mountain Stage, which hopefully Naira goes absolutely gangbusters on. Shout out to the Quokka. He's back and we'll see you tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 